Good morning, church. It's good to see you. Thank you for being here and worshiping with us today. When I was growing up, I could not have imagined ever working for a church. I never thought that would be the case for me. And I, I remember, you know, going to high school and going to college, and I had all these different dreams, aspirations, things that I would do with my life. But somewhere in those college years, God got a hold of my heart in a very significant and profound way and began to move me towards uh, vocational ministry, working at a church for a vocation. And um, I'll, at some point I'll tell you that story. But I remember graduating from high school, feeling this call to work in the church, to serve God um, full-time in vocational as a job, but not knowing where to go and what that would look like, and <laughs> not sure what next step to take. But I did know this. I did know that I needed to learn more about God's Word, and I needed training if I was ever going to be a pastor. So I enrolled in a uh, seminary, a, a master's program, a program that was designed to help pastors uh, be trained and equipped and understand God's Word, and um, I'm grateful for it. I loved it. It was a really good uh, next step for me, and again, it's formative and helping shape me and move me towards the direction that God had for me. But I remember as a, a seminary student working on that master's degree, there was a required class um, it, that I was, uh, the, the, all, all people in my particular program were required to take, and it was a class called Church Growth. Church Growth was the name of the class. Now, I was brand new to this whole idea of ministry and new to seminary, um, and apparently, I did not know this at the time, but this was a brand new course that the seminary was offering, a course on church growth. And boy, was there a lot of controversy around it. And I didn't realize it. I did not know that there was so much controversy over this class called church growth that was being introduced and required for seminary students to take. And I, I did not realize how polarizing it was until I got into the class. But apparently, the professor already knew that it was a little polarizing because he opened the class by asking this question, class, what do you all think about church growth? Oh, that opened up the can. And all of a sudden, there were people angry. They were just frustrated. They were mad at the notion that the, that the seminary would require a class on church growth because churches that are big, um, they're all about, you know, watering down the truth. They're all focused on numbers. Uh, they, they are a, they're a mile wide and an inch deep. They're all thinking about how can we get more butts in the seats. And if they're, you know, it's all about, you know, mega church, then count me out. I don't know when to be in this class. And there were people very, very, very angry about this. Then on the other side, you had people in the class who were full-time pastors who were working in churches, and they were very discouraged because they were discouraged by the lack of growth in their church. And they're saying, we need help. And some of them legitimately are saying, how can, how can we help our church grow? But then, of course, there were plenty of people who were saying, okay, we're going to take notes. What's the latest trend? What's the latest thing that we can do and copy, mimic? What's the secret sauce in order to make church growth happen? So you can see there was just, you know, this, this, this debate going on. And the professor allowed this debate go on for a very uncomfortable amount of time, uh, more, far more than I was comfortable with. And then the professor did this. He said, can I ask you a question, class? When a couple who's expecting a baby, the wife is pregnant, they go to the doctor. When they go to the doctor, do they tell the doctor 
what size the baby needs to be? No. Do they tell the doctor what weight the baby needs to be? No. When that couple goes to the doctor, do you know what they tell the doctor? They tell the doctor, we want a healthy baby. And the class agreed. And they were in, it was silence. They were all in agreement. Okay. Then the professor turns to the class and says, would it be okay with you if in this class we look to God's word and we look to say, what would it look like for us to build healthy churches? Would it be okay with you if we looked to God's word and said, what would it look like for us to be leaders who lead people into a healthy biblical relationship with Jesus Christ? Would that be okay with you? The class all agreed. And that's exactly what we did over the course of that class. And I loved it. One of my favorite classes that I took. And here's, here's why I tell you that story. Because what I want for us as a church and what I want for you as individuals in this church is to be growing healthy. I want you to be growing healthy when it comes to your spiritual life. And here's the thing. When we grow healthy, guess what? We grow. Did you know that? Healthy things grow. And that's the only kind of growth we really want to have. We want growth because we're growing healthier. And the way that we do that it's not by telling God what size of church we need to be, but we do it by saying, God, how can we align with you, your heart, your purposes, and make sure that we prioritize those things? Because that's the only way that we know that we're growing healthier. So in this series that we've been going through, where you're in part four of a four-part series, we've just essentially been saying, how can we grow healthier as a church? How can we make sure as a church, we're saying, God, what's your heart? How can we have that same heart? God, what are your purposes for the church and for us as individuals in the church? How, and then stopping the saying, we want to prioritize our lives around those purposes. That's what we're wanting to do so that we can say, hey, we want to be growing healthier because we're aligned with God and his heart. And we grow in alignment in lots of arenas. We get healthier, Right. Marriages, when they're like this, not very healthy, but when they're growing towards alignment, they're healthier. Businesses that align around a mission and vision, they're a healthier business. Relationships that have alignment grow healthier. Teams that are going different directions are not healthy teams, but teams that grow closer in alignment are healthier teams. Healthier churches say, God, how can we align to you? your heart. Because when we know, we know this, when we are connected to God, when we remain in the vine, guess what? We'll bear much fruit. So we've got to be connected. We've got to be aligned. That's what this series is about. And so we've just stopped and we said for the last couple of weeks, what does it look like for us as a church to be aligned with God's heart and his purposes and make sure that we make those our priorities? So what are the priorities? Let me give you a quick summary of them or overview of them, of our priorities. The first one is this, to engage with God and God's people, that our priority is worship, uh, uh, that, that vertical relationship with God, that's first, worship first, connecting with God. Then, secondly, engaging with God's people, the horizontal relationships that follow. Then, the second aspect of that is equip the church, that we be a church that says, how can we be growing in our own personal relationship with God independently as a mature follower of Christ? But then also, how are we not just getting, but how are we giving? How can we serve? 
the, Paul, the Apostle Paul talks about the body, all the different parts working. We all have a part to play. We all have gifts that God has given to us that we can make a difference. And when the church is working together as a body, holistically, we're healthier and we function better. And so that's, that's important priority for us. Then the third priority is this, empower disciples who make disciples. And the two words with that are invest and invite. This is what we're going to be focused on today, this third aspect of empowerment, empowering disciples who make disciples, and those two words there that are critical are invest and invite. Now, in order to help us really understand this third priority, um, we're going to look at a passage found in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to it. We're going to look at three verses, three verses in Matthew chapter 28. Um, it's 18, 19, and, um, and 20, and we're going to focus on those. And normally we'll have you stand for the reading of Scripture, but I'm just going to look at them, and we're going to discover them together, and you'll see how these, this passage helps us get to our um, uh, understanding of that third priority. This passage, by the way, is in the context of Jesus' final days on earth before he ascended into heaven. And it's in this moment that Jesus is with his disciples that are all gathered around him, and these are his final commands. This is his final mission statement that he gives to the church, the marching orders for them on th for, for, their, for their on out. And it's important that we stop here because uh, this is what's famously called the Great Commission. This is where all Christian churches come back to to say, what is it that Jesus commanded us to do? What is the mission of the church? And here's why this is important, because the church, just like any organization, can have mission creep. That is, we can find ourselves saying, yeah, 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 that's our mission, but then all of a sudden we start creeping and going a different direction. And I, I long for and hope for and pray for more churches in our world to come back to say, let's recenter on the mission that Jesus gave to us. Because when we get realigned with the mission, then we can have clarity and focus, and it's so clear and it's so concise, we cannot afford to miss it. So we have to come back so we don't have mission creep. Now, in Matthew 28, this is where Jesus shares the mission of the church and the mission for us as followers of Christ. This is what he says in Matthew 28, verse 18. When Jesus came to them, that is those who are followers who are around him, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So he starts by saying, guess what? I'm in charge. This isn't a great suggestion. This isn't a great, you know, consideration. This is the great commission. And he's, he's really coming back to saying, I'm the man in charge, right? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So I'm pulling out the trump card. This is me. I'm in charge. This is the, the command that I'm giving to you. Then what's the command that he gives? He says, therefore, since I'm in charge, and then he gives four different directives, four different commands, and I've highlighted them so you can see them in these two verses. Let me read it. It says this, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the earth. So he gives four commands and then he gives a promise. He says, listen, I'll be with you. And it's not just a promise for anyone. Hey, God will be with me. This is a promise given to those who are living out the commands of the mission that he's given to us. So he's saying, hey, listen, you live out the mission, the command that I'm giving to you. Guess what? I'll be with you. I promise and I'll empower you. This is a beautiful thing. But there's the four commands that are there. 
And the question is, are they, there's four different commands, but are they all equal in terms of their, their um, emphasis? Or is, there, or is there one main command among the four? And the, the answer is yes, there is one main command, and the other three commands help us understand what that means to live that out. So the main command, let me highlight it for you, is this, to make disciples. That is the main command in this passage to make disciples. Make, a disciple, by the way, is anyone who is um, taking steps towards Jesus, has a growing faith in Jesus. So we're to make disciples, those who are learners, followers, have a growing faith in Christ. That's the main command. Now, these other three commands help us know how to do it. So let me just point them out to you, and I'll just share with you kind of how to make disciples based on these three um, commands that kind of are subordinate to that main command. First one, going, baptizing, and teaching. And I, it says go, and, but in the, in the Greek really it means as you're going. So Jesus is saying, listen, not just go one time, meet with somebody, make a disciple, and you're done. He's saying as you're going, that is, it's meant to be this process of this mission is to be a lifestyle. It's all the time. It's not a, a six-week course. It's not a one-time deal. It's an ongoing part of our life. It's a lifestyle um, that we have of going and making disciples. Secondly, baptizing. That is the, the front end. The people are baptized when they come to faith in Christ, and they're publicly declaring and the, what, what God has done inside of their life. It's a public declaration of an inward confession. They've confessed Christ as their Lord, and now publicly they're sharing it. So it's that front end of faith. And so this is why it's about helping people find Jesus and identify with him. And then teaching is this third part of the command, and that's helping people follow Jesus. Helping people follow Jesus. So teaching them not just to, um, you know, information, but how to practically follow Jesus, taking that information and putting it into real-life application. So our mission is this. Our mission is this. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. Find and follow Jesus. And many churches tend to be good at one or the other of these. Many churches tend to be really good at helping people find Jesus. But then, you know, in terms of growing and following him, you're kind of on your own. But then there are some churches that are really good about helping people follow Jesus. But people who are interested in finding him, hey, you know, figure that out and then come to us. We'll help you grow in terms of what it means to follow him. No church does this perfectly, but the Great Commission has both aspects to it. That we need to be about helping people find Jesus and helping people follow Jesus. That's what we are about. And I was thinking about it this week, this concept of finding and following, and you see it throughout um, Jesus' ministry and his statements. And I'll just point out a couple of them. So the the first one is this, when it comes to finding, that Jesus said, uh, you know, in multiple places, he said, I've come to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to seek people. And I love that. He's about seeking, and we need to be about seeking too. That's not a passive um, command. That's not a passive stance that we take. No, it's an active. We're seeking people. Jesus wants his lost sheep found. So he's seeking. He's a seeking God. Then the catching side, Jesus said to his disciples, listen, if you want to follow me, guess what? If you want to be my disciple, I'm going to turn you into fishers of people. I'm going to help you catch people. And again, it's an active casting the net saying, hey, can we help people 
come to know him, there's this sense that we need to be all of us. That's just not just a command for Peter and the disciples, but for all of us about catching people and helping them find Jesus. Then third, rejoicing. We find this in in Scripture too where... There's the parable of the, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost, lost son. And when the, the coin is found, when the sheep is found, Jesus, Jesus says, listen, there's rejoicing in heaven when one person, one sinner turns and repents. And I want us to be a church where there's just, we, we're, a, we're a part of helping people find Jesus. We're rejoicing, but the heavenly hosts are rejoicing in the work that God is doing through South Hills Church. So they're seeking, it's active, there's catching, there's rejoicing. Then when it comes to following, Jesus says this as well. He says, if you want to follow me, you need to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. So it's not just once you find him, but it's a process of following him, discipleship, ongoing. And that's where I say the putting down. That is, when you become a follower of Christ, there's the denial part, where there's parts of our life we have to put behind us. We've been holding on to our self-reliance or, 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 or sinful habits, whatever it might be, but we have to put those down and say, Jesus, you're Lord. I'm obeying you. I'm following you. But then there's the picking up. What is it that we're picking up? The fruits of the Spirit and character and development. So where there's a part that we're picking up and then we're following him. So it's finding and following. This is so critical. Our mission is to help people find and follow Jesus, we need to be focused on both of these things. Now, the question is, how do we do that? How is it that, you know, we live out this mission? You go to the next one. Just a reminder on the mission. Um, We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. But the question is, well, what's the strategy? If that's our mission to help people find Jesus and follow Jesus, what's our main strategy to help people um, know Christ, to make disciples. And so before I talk about what it is, let me tell you what it's not, okay? What is, our, what, what is not our primary strategy? And I'm really careful to say this. Our primary mission strategy is not hire staff. Our primary mission strategy is not, well, let's just hire a bunch of people who work at the church and they do the mission of the church. No, that's not our primary strategy. I'm grateful for the staff we have, but their whole job is to equip you and empower you to make disciples, to help you go out and live out the mission. So we don't want you to get into a spot where you have a friend that says to you, hey, I'm really interested in knowing about Jesus. And you say, okay, wait a minute. I need to go find someone on staff at the church to introduce you to them so that they can tell you about Jesus. No, that's not what we want. We want to equip you and empower you so you can tell their, your friend about Jesus. So hiring staff is not our primary minis- uh, mission, uh, mission strategy. But of course, as staff, along with all of us, we all need to be missional in our thinking and our relationships. The second, second thing I'll mention is this. Our primary mission strategy is not support missionaries who share Jesus. Now, I love the fact that we do support missionaries that share Jesus. And we're going to continue to support missionaries who share Jesus. But that's not our primary mission strategy. We do support. In fact, when you give to South Hills Church, you're supporting a number of missionaries throughout the world who are reaching people that we could not reach on our own. But there's pockets, and those are places, and we love that, and we want to continue to support that, but that's not our primary mission strategy. It's something that we'll continue to do, that we love to do, but it's not our primary mission strategy. Third one is this, go on a mission trip. Our primary mission strategy is not go on a mission trip. However, I hope you all do go on a short-term mission trip. We just commissioned and we prayed for that team, and I love that they're going, and I hope all of you in your lifetime go on a mission trip because it's life-changing. 
It is life-changing. Maybe you, you've been on one. Hey, maybe you just make a decision. Hey, every five years, every 10 years, I go on another one because it helps me stay on mission, and it's good. And we want to send short-term mission trips and more short-term teams out, but that's not our primary mission strategy. Here's another one. Another one is this. Have big events and invite people. Have big events and invite people. That is not our primary mission strategy, to have big events and invite people. Now, I love big events, and I think they're very helpful and useful, and there's a place. But that's not our primary strategy in terms of helping people know Christ and, and, and to grow. Um, Jesus had moments, right, where there was big, 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 uh, big events, and he, he talked to tons of people, and many people turned and followed him. But he also had a, a different strategy. That wasn't his primary strategy. That was part of it, but he had a, a, a different strategy that, that we'll talk about a little bit later. Then the last one is this, give out brochures about the gospel. Now, I love um, brochures about the gospel. In fact, I've used brochures about the gospel, and I've helped lead people to Christ, and I'm grateful for it. In fact, they've helped me understand my own relationship with Christ as I've read those, those gospel tracts or gospel brochures. So they're good, but just that's our whole strategy is just drop them in places and hope someone picks it up and turns to Jesus. That can happen, and, and, and that's great. And I know people have, and I've used them in my own ministry, but it's not our primary mission strategy. Okay, these are all good things, all secondary things that we would say are part of our strategy. But the question is, what's our primary mission strategy? You ready for it? It's this. Our primary mission strategy is to empower disciples who make disciples. Our primary mission strategy is to empower disciples, empower followers of Christ to make other followers of Christ. And how we do that is really comes down to these two words that we talked about, um, that I talked about earlier. And there's a third word that I'm going to introduce by the end that's probably more critical than anything else. But let me talk about these first two. When it comes to our primary strategy, it's this, that we as, that all of us can get around, by the way. This is the one that all of us, we're all engaged in and all can be engaged in, is this, investing and inviting. If it's helping people find and follow Christ, we need to invest in people, we need to invite them into a relationship with Christ, and we need to continue to invest in them. So there's this investment and this invitation that is a part of, this is our primary mission strategy. So now, before I talk a little bit more about it, let me define the terms one more time for you so that you can understand what it means, uh, these, these different terms mean. So when I talk about disciple, a disciple is anyone who is taking steps towards Jesus. If you're here, and even if you haven't fully placed your faith in Christ, you might be a disciple because you're growing in your, your faith. You're taking steps towards him. But many of you have already put your faith in Christ and you're a disciple because you're continuing to take steps forward in following him. Then there's the disciple maker. That's anyone who is intentionally helping others take their steps. This is the invest, invite part. That if you are a follower of Christ, that it makes sense for you at some point to say, I've, I've received, but now it's time for me to give. Now it's time for me to intentionally invest and invite others to be disciples and to grow in their faith and walk along with them. And then, of course, the mature disciple is, is someone who no longer is dependent on others to grow spiritually. So these are, <clears throat> these are the terms, but the main one that we're talking about is being a disciple maker because Jesus says, here's the mission of the church, make disciples. And that's for all of us. If you are a disciple, you are called by Jesus to make other disciples, to be a disciple maker. 
So what does that look like? And how, how do we know what, how to do that? And this is where we see it played out in Scripture. In fact, the Apostle Paul, um, he had uh, someone that he was a disciple maker too. Now, he, did, um, he planted church and he ministered to lots of people. But we know that on his second missionary journey, he was going through the city of Lystra and he, he met a young believer named what? Timothy. He met this young guy named Timothy who had a growing faith. And Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, come along with me. And, for the, and Timothy accepted the invitation to be with Paul, to partner with him in his ministry. And for the next 15 years, Paul discipled Timothy. Timothy was brought into pastoral counseling meetings. Timothy over and over heard Paul declare the good news about Jesus Christ, that it's faith in Christ and nothing else for the Jew and for the non-Jew. He, he heard over and over Paul talking about what the church needs to be about and how leadership should be structured. He was with him and was in those conversations. He was trained by Paul, got to watch Paul, all of these things. This is what... Um, this is what uh, P, uh, sorry, Timothy experienced with Paul. And then at the very end of Paul, the Apostle Paul's life, he writes a final letter to Timothy, who's now pastoring the church that Paul had planted in Ephesus. Now, Timothy is the pastor of that church that he planted, and this is what he says, and it's so powerful. He says this, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So he's saying, hey, Timothy, all that I've trained you and taught you, the truth of the good news, what it it means to, to be a follower of Christ, I want you to now teach others who will then be able to teach others. So just to help you see the flow of this passage, let me just give it to you in a flow chart, a diagram. It's in your notes as well, but it's just so, it's beautiful. It's Paul investing in Timothy And he's saying to Timothy, now, Timothy, it's your turn to invest in faithful people who can then go on to teach others. And you see the multiplication. That's investment. That if you're a follower of Christ, someone invested in you. And at some point, you have to say, who am I investing in? Paul invested in Timothy. Timothy's to invest in others. Those are to invest in other people. Do you remember the the seminary professor I talked about earlier? That seminary professor not only was a professor of the seminary that I was attending, but he also happened to be a pastor of a, a, a growing local church. And that seminary professor, who was a pastor, hired me to be his youth pastor at his church. And I worked for him for 20 years. Yeah. He trained me. He taught me. He mentored me. He helped me understand how to study God's word and to teach God's word. He showed me what it means to be a pastor, how to love people hard and in, in, in the great times and the hard times. And I'm so grateful for him and his investment in my life. And, and there's others that were a part of that who invested in me. But I'm so grateful that someone said, hey, I'll put, my, I'll put a little bit of faith in you. And I don't, there wasn't a lot of foundation for that faith. But then, hey, let me take you along and invest in you and train you and help you. And I'm grateful for that. I had that in my life. Many of you had that in yours. But now it's time to say, okay, who am I doing that for? And it's not just for pastors, by the way. This is for all of us. 
When I say invest in others, it's not just the pastor's thing to do. And I know that for some of you, like, this is intimidating. I don't know if I can, I can do this. I don't know if I can invest in someone else. That's why I want to give you a couple of um, principles to help you see that you're not alone, okay? So let me just start here. There's a couple of key players in discipleship because I'm going to push you to invest in others, invest in others just as you've been invested in, but I need you to just know that there's a couple of key players in this whole process. The first one is this, divine influence, the Holy Spirit. This is important because sometimes, I remember when I first started discipling people, coming alongside and investing in others, I was intimidated because like, oh man, there's spiritual growth and development. It's all on me. I don't know if I have what it takes. And man, this is a lot of pressure, but here's what I need to be reminded of. It's not all on me. God's who who makes people grow. In fact, it talks about it in 1 Corinthians. Let me show you this passage. It's so helpful. Um, This is Paul talking. He says, I, Paul, planted the seed Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. We need to be reminded of that, don't we? We invest, but God makes things grow. We do our best to shepherd, guide, encourage, coach, but God's the one who brings life transformation. So guess what? It's not all on you. It's the Holy Spirit's job. We just get to partner with the Holy Spirit in helping people come to know Him and grow in Him. So that's just a reminder for you. There's the divine influence. The Holy Spirit is working. Key player, not you, okay? It's the Holy Spirit. We just get to be a a, a part of what He's doing. Then there's the second thing that I want you to see. There's the divine incubator, which is the local church. The divine incubator, kind of a weird, weird, (laughs) weird word, but I'm using it because uh, it starts with I, okay? So... um, (laughs) But, but here's, here's the idea that um, God wants to use the whole church to disciple people. It's not all on you. In fact, you go back to the First Corinthians one more time. Who's, who's, who are the key players? It says, I, that's Paul, planted the seed. Apollos watered it, but God's been making it grow. And what I love about this is the Apostle Paul saying, yeah, I played a little bit of part. And Apollos played a little bit of part, but God does his part. But what I want you to see in this is that the whole church, it's, it's a team sport discipleship is. And I love that because it's not all dependent on me or you, and it keeps us from pride. Look who I've been discipling, you know? All me. What's this is the product? That would be kind of a scary thought, right? But here's all me. But here's the, here's the reality that God wants to use the local church and lots of different parts of the church to disciple people in the process. And that's a good thing because you don't, they, people need more than just one side of discipleship that you play a part, someone else plays a part. That, that's the beauty of the church because some of you are excellent at encouraging. Some of you are excellent at challenging Some of you are excellent prayer warriors. Some of you are excellent teachers. Some of you are excellent counselors. And don't we need all of those things, right? And so that's the beauty of the body of Christ. And that's what concerns me about anyone who removes themselves from the body of Christ. They're removing themselves from all those different aspects that we all need in terms of our own personal discipleship. That we get to be in a place where all these different parts are working and um, people are being discipled. together collectively by the church. Now, let me just say one thing. I, I, um, in, in terms of this whole concept of working together, and it's a team sport, discipleship is, uh, I, I know, like I've told you before, I spent many years doing youth ministry, and one of the things that you talk about in youth ministry a lot, or children's ministry, is a ratio, a good ratio for adults to students 
and the common ratio that, that's used for student ministry is let's have one adult for every five kids. And that's a safe, safe kind of ratio, like whether you're a youth group or a small group or a camp, can we at least have one adult for every five kids? And that's a good ratio to have when you're thinking about camps and events and kind of things like that. But I remember reading a book, and when I was reading the book, the author challenged um, youth workers, children's ministry workers, to reverse that ratio. And they, the, the author said, what would it look like instead of one adult to every five kids? What if it was five adults to every one kid? What would it look like for children in our church by the time they start in the nursery to the time they graduate in high school that they've had at least five adults who have counseled them, encouraged them, been cheerleaders for them, who have come around and challenged them? What would that look like? How how, what kind of an impact would we have in the next generation if every kid who grew up in our church had at least five adults that were speaking into their life, praying for them, encouraging them, challenging them? Wouldn't that be great? Because we all know as parents, kids don't listen to us. They don't, do they? We need other voices. And so what if it was five to one and we said, hey, the church all of us, we're all a part of discipling people. We're playing a part that it's a team sport. The local church is such a powerful um, uh, vehicle for discipleship that we cannot overlook. And so that's why I just say it's that divine incubator um, where we can grow, we work together. The third one is this, the divine instrument, the disciple maker. The divine instrument, the disciple maker. This is where it really helped me to recognize Okay, God, when it comes to discipling others, to investing others, I'm just a tool, right? I'm just an instrument. You use people to be instrumental in my life. Guess what? I can be an instrument that you could use to be an encouragement to someone else. I can be a tool. I can be an an, an instrument for you to make a difference in the lives of others, to invest in them. And I remember the first time I prayed, someone challenged me, hey, Scott, you have been invested in all your life. Have you ever stopped to consider who you can invest in and pray, God, would you bring someone into my life that I can invest in? I'm like, no, I've never prayed that prayer. Guess what? I prayed the prayer, and within 24 hours, God brought me somebody. One of the fastest prayers that I've ever had answered. Why is that? Because it's God's will for us to disciple others. It is God's will for you to disciple others, to invest in someone else, the divine instrument, and it's so important. Now, Once we get those kind of principal players, there's some benefits that I want to talk about because I don't want us to overlook. There are some benefits here. The first one is this, that when we we disciple others, we grow. There's spiritual growth that happens. Not only do they grow, and that's fun, but we also grow when we invest in others. Our faith is stretched. We have to, they're asking us questions or we're, we're trying to figure out how do we shepherd them. We're learning, we're growing. And I think this is such a healthy aspect of the Christian life because so many Christians are consuming, 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 and they become couch potatoes. But we gotta get up off the couch and begin to exercise what we've brought, what brought in now. Let's pass along to somebody else. Let's encourage someone. We feel healthier when we're exercising, don't we? And so what, if, what would it look like for more and more Christians to say, we're not just consumers, but we're contributors. We're part of helping others grow, and it will help us grow at the same time. The second one is this, significant impact. Significant impact. When it comes to um, discipleship, 
there is significant impact that comes when we disciple others, when we invest in others. If you're here and you're saying, I want to do something big for God. I want to make a, you know, a big splash. I want to make a great impact. Guess what? Here's my answer. Do something small. Focus on a few. No, 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 no. I want to really, I want to just, I want to make a difference in thousands of people's lives. I want to do something big for God. Okay, guess what? Do something small. Focus on a few. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. That was his whole strategy. I'm going to focus on a few so that the impact could be wide because it's multiplication. And so he, he modeled something very, very different for us. And if you want to have a significant infla, in, impact um, in this world, focus and invest deeply in a few people because those few people can then make an impact in the lives of others and make an impact in the lives of others. Can I ask you a question? Does anybody know who it was that discipled Phil Paulson? Phil Paulson, if you don't know, was the previous lead pastor of this church. Now, some of you may know. I don't know who discipled Phil Paulson. I don't. But I'll tell you what. I'm very grateful for whoever it was. I'm very grateful for the person who um, introduced Phil Paulson to the, um, the gospel. I'm very grateful for the first person who gave Phil his, his, the first Bible. I'm grateful for the people who came alongside him in his teenage years and said, hey, keep following Jesus. Keep following Jesus. I'm very grateful for the people who came alongside of him and said, hey, let me help you understand how to study God's word and to teach God's word and to pastor God's people. I don't know who those people are, but I'm grateful for them. And my guess is you're grateful for them because Phil has had a tremendous impact in the life of this church and in this community. And that happened because someone invested in Phil. So, you want to make a big impact? Invest in somebody deeply. Make a difference in someone's life. You don't know the impact you'll make. I love this statement from Charles Swindoll. He said this, The greatest legacy of any Christian is not to be remembered simply as a great speaker or theologian. The richest legacy for any of us is to leave behind um, is trained disciples. And I don't know if you know this about Chuck Swindoll, but he's a pretty good speaker. He's a pretty good theologian. But you know what he's saying? He's saying, listen, the greatest legacy that we can leave behind is trained disciples. That's powerful. That's impactful. This is such an important thing. Then third one is this, uh, strategic influence. Strategic influence. We all want to be strategic with our influence. We want to be strategic with our investments. Um, So let me just show you really briefly how Jesus was strategic with his influence. And it's it's a great model for us to be thinking through how can we be strategic with our influence? Because you're saying, I can invest in lots of different things, and there's always things coming at me all the time that I can be investing in. So how can I be strategic with how I invest and how I invest my influence? So let's just look to Jesus and his model. The first one is this. Jesus shows us modeling. That is, when Jesus went out to the crowds, there were crowds all around him, he was modeling something to them. He was, he, was, he was walking along, and people would watch him. He, they you know, maybe didn't have a personal one-on-one with him, but they were watching him as he healed lepers. They were watching him and listening to him as he was teaching. They were watching his life, the, the observers. And the, here's the truth. We all, you all, have observers in your life. Everyone is watching you. 
At, at some point, they're going to interact with you at the grocery store as you're driving your car. What kind of modeling? I'm not going to talk about right now, okay? But as you're driving your car, as you go to work, as you interact in school, you're modeling something. People are watching you. So Jesus was modeling something to the crowds by his words, his actions, his works, all those different things. So he's modeling something. So that's the largest level of influence that you have. So we need to pay attention to that. The second one is this, uh, motivating. That is, from the crowds, there were points in which Jesus said, Zacchaeus, get down from that tree. I want to spend some time with you. And it was, you know, it was intentional, and it was specific, and it was motivational. And he did that with Lazarus. He did that with Mary. He did that with Mar- uh, uh, Martha. These were relationships that he had. That they, he, they weren't his all-the-time followers. They weren't with him and, and all those kind of things all the time, but he still invested in them. He motivated them. He encouraged them. There's people in your life, maybe your coworkers, maybe members of your family you don't see as often, but when you're with them, be intentional with them. It's the friends and acquaintances you see from time to time. And it's like, I haven't seen them in a while, but you know what? I'm going to reach out to them. I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to encourage them, be motivational. This is what Jesus did. So there's a layer there of relationships. But then Jesus was, was very strategic. He selected 12 disciples. He, he knew, I can't, I can't you know, it, it do everybody, a whole crowd, know them all. And I can't make a great impact when I'm trying to do it with everybody all at the same time. And then I have the people that I have specific relationships with that I run across, and I'm going to encourage them, and I'm going to point them uh, in the right direction. But then he stopped, and he said, I'm going to pray for a smaller number of people that I can invest in. And for each and every one of us, we have to stop and say, are we being intentional? Who are those people that are, cl- that are close to us that we can mentor, that we can encourage? The, the people that kind of the 12 people, if you were to think spheres of your life, you know, there's the, the people that are just, you work with or living out in the community. There's people that you run into periodically. Who are the people that you're kind of living around the most that you need to be intentional with, encouraging, mentoring? That's what Jesus did with the disciples. And then from the disciples, he had a lower level too, right? He had even a more strategic step where he had the multiplication side where he picked out Peter, James, and John, the three. And so if you were to do circles again, there's the three. These are the people that are the most, most he was closest to. He spent the most time with. He invested in the most. There are people in your life that you need to say, who am I um, spending the most time with that I need to be investing in? That, 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 that multiplication level. If you're married, it's likely your spouse. If you have kids, it's your kids that you need to be saying, this is who God has given me to be the primary disciple of. I need to invest deeply in their lives. But then some of you need to also stop and say, but God, is there someone that you've brought into or I need to be seeking out that I can spend more significant amount of time with, that I can encourage, that I can invest in? I can't do that with everybody, but who are the few that you're bringing to me or that I'm asking you to bring to me so that I can go deep with, encourage, invest on that multiplication level? So this is what we see Jesus model for us and that what we can do now. That's the invest side, but then there's also the invitational side. Well, what does it look like for us, not just to help them grow and invest in them, but how can we be invitational as a church, the finding part, helping them find Jesus and follow Jesus? And this is where I'll give you three different things to help us think through how to be invitational. First of all is this, come and see that there's people in your life that you just need to say, hey, come, come and see you. That is, maybe you come and come into my house, have, have a meal with me, or, or just, can we go have coffee? So it's just come and see. Uh, time, but it could be come and see church. 
could be come and see my group, my life group, or my um, whatever group that you're in. You're like a Bible study. You just come and see. And it's just an invitation to come and see uh, and invite them into your world. Then secondly, it's the come and consider. You might come to a spot where you're talking to people and you're saying, hey, would you, would you, come and con- would you consider reading, a, Bible, reading a, a book of the Bible with me and talking about it? Would you consider um, this, listening to this podcast? Would you consider l- reading this book? And then we talk about it. So you're t- inviting them to take a step further to consider who Jesus is. And then the last one is this, come and believe. Come and believe. That there might be a point where you, you're interacting with someone, you're building a relationship with someone, where you say, you know what? Have you ever considered trusting in Jesus? Can I tell you what Jesus has done for me? Can I tell you the good news that's found in the Bible? Would you consider that? and you invite them into it. Now, there's lots of ways that we can be invitational and invite people, but we can do it right here, right now in our own church. In fact, I'm going to bring a couple of people up here. I already pointed you out. Can you come up on stage, you uh, four? Um, Come on up. Uh, I'm going to invite a couple of people up because they're going to help me. Just help us see just differently how we can be invitational, not just with our friends out there, but even right here in our own church today. Um, so come on here. Don't be shy. Come right here in the middle. So th- these guys are going to just um, sh- point out something. So come right here. You have to come in front of the TV here. All right. So they're going to they're gonna show us something. They're going to, first of all, okay, there's uh, Tristan over here. He's new. He's, you know, let's just say he's never, he actually is pretty new to our church. Tristan, welcome. We're glad you've been coming. Um, I think in this last month or two, but um, we're grateful that Tristan's here. But let's just say these guys are part of our church. Go ahead and just be um, yeah, go ahead and start talking. So here they are, they're talking, and um, they're talking, and what, what, what kind of shape are they in right now? They're in a circle. We always talk about circles, that's good. You're tight, you're close, you're a community. Now where's Tristan in this? Where does he fit? Now Tristan's trying to get to know, go ahead and stay in your tight circle. It's okay, no, stay in your tight circle. Here you go. Tristan's on the outside, he's looking in. They can't see Tristan, can they? Why? Because they're looking at each other. They're in this little circle. Tristan, come on over here. Is there any way in over there on this side? No, I, think, I don't think so. There's no way in, right? They're in this tight circle. Now, is this very invitational? No. Now, am I glad that they like each other? And they do like each other. They're all friends. They all went to homecoming last night, and they're exhausted. I'm surprised you were all here because you got no sleep. But um, they're here, but they love each other. They're all connected, and that's what we want. We want people connected, talking to each other. But it's not good when someone from the outside can't find their way in. So this is a circle, and I talked to you guys about it. What are you going to create? A U. U. Now they're going to create a U. Now what's, did you see this U shape? Now look at this. Does Tristan, look, Tristan, you have a spot here now, right? Now, Madison can still look at, uh, look at the, the group here, but she can also see um, Tristan. And now Tristan can be brought in and invited into a you and not a circle. Do you see that? See how simple that is? But guess what? Okay, you guys go ahead and sit back down. Let's hear from them. You come to church, you got your friends, you got your family, you circle up, and it's good. We want you to love each other and be together. But guess what? When you circle, your eyes are not looking on those who are the outside, and they have no way of getting in. And it feels very closed. But we want to be invitational, don't we? We want to help people say, there's a place for you here. And guess what? We're in a U because we're constantly talking to each other, but we're also looking out. And guess what? If I'm ever in a conversation with you and all of a sudden I abruptly leave, it's probably because I see somebody new, by the way, and I want to talk to them. 
It's just part of me. It's like, I want to bring them in. I want to connect with them. So we have the you to say there's a spot for them to come in, that we have those kind of eyes. And here's, I hear this all the time. People who said, I've been living in Tri-Cities for over five years, and I just don't feel connected. I just don't know anybody. And that's tragi- tragic, right? And people who come to our church, I come into our church, but I don't know anybody. I don't feel connected. We just have to say, how can we be invitational? Come and see. Come and sit here. Come and believe. Let's be yous and not circles, which is a weird statement, but you guys get it now, okay? The last thing I'll just say that is this, that sometimes there are barriers to investing and inviting. Let me just address a couple of them, and then we'll pray. It's this. First one is that you feel like sometimes I need to have all the answers. And let me just take that out of, the, out of the picture. You do not need to have all the answers. In fact, you become more authentic to the people you're investing in. When they're asking you questions, you're like, I don't know. Let's go figure it out together. When your kid asks you a question, you're like, good question. Let's go look at the Bible and find the answer. You're, you're modeling something great. You're discipling towards the Bible to help us come with an answer because we don't have to have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. Uh, none of us do. So again, you don't have to have all the answers. The second one is this. Um, you don't have the time. Sometimes we busy our lives with so many things that we miss the mission that God's called us to, to invest and to invite. And so I just, you can't afford not to have the time. The question is, what kind of legacy do you want to have? And I want to have a kind of legacy that Chuck Swindoll talked about with trained disciples, people that I've invested in who can invest in others. We don't have, we don't not have the time to do this. Then third one is this, I'm not spiritual enough. Sometimes we just feel like I just don't think I'm spiritual enough to lead others. Now, let me just with that, go back to 2 Timothy 2. 2 is what we looked at, but let me look at the verse right before 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. The, the right before it, Timothy, um, right before Paul says to Timothy, go and, and you know, invest in others, this is what he says in verse uh, um, 2.1. Oh, that should be a 1. Um, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He says, be strong in what? In yourself? Be strong in your ability? Be strong in how spiritual you are? Be strong in your knowledge and your ability to like make great disciples. No, he says, be strong in what? The grace that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in grace. And there's two kinds of grace. There's saving grace and there's empowering grace. Saving grace is what Jesus has done for us on the cross and we're grateful for that. But then there's this empowering grace that helps us be the people that he's called us to be. And we lean into that grace. We lean into his strength and not our own to be the disciple makers that he's called us to be. So here's my encouragement. This won't be a surprise to you, but here's my encouragement. It's this. Be intentional about who you are praying for, investing in, and inviting to take the next step toward Jesus. I told you there's a third word. You know what it is? It's pray. Pray, invest, and invite. Pray, invest, and invite. My pastor, my teacher, said this phrase, and I'll never forget it because I heard it more times than I can count. He'd always say this, talk to God before you talk to people. Talk to God before you talk to people. I think that's pretty good advice. We pray, we invest, we invite. Let's talk to God together, okay? God, we do want to stop in your presence and and we just want to say thank you for your saving grace that through faith in your son, Jesus Christ, We can be forgiven, we can be set free, that we can live a life of joy and hope because of who you are and what you've done for us. But we also thank you for your empowering grace. And we ask that you would empower us to be a church that 
that prays, invests, and invites in others. We know, Lord, that you want your lost sheep found. Help us to be a church that helps others find you and follow you. God, we need you. We, we ask for your grace and your empowerment in our lives. In your name, amen.